Thanks, Dalton. Great job with announcements, as always, my friend. Hey, we're excited to be at Kyle for the night. Uh, just a quick little shout out to Quentin Clough right over there. He didn't get introduced last week because he was gone. Why don't you stand up, Quentin? Uh, Quentin's on staff with Chi Alpha. <laughs> Quentin was also responsible for the giant cool fire pit, uh, which only, we, he was upset. We, I was sitting by him. He was upset because it only made it into the video for a second and a half. Uh, and so, uh, anyways, can we give Quentin a big round of applause for the awesome fire he built? That was cool. If you missed the burn, don't worry. Next week, we got Goat Quest. You can come hang out with us there. Uh, I had a lot of fun with you guys, so thanks for hanging last Friday. Well, hey, we're going to jump in. If you've not been to Chi Alpha before, we're Chi Alpha. Welcome. Uh, we want you to feel part of the, the Chi Alpha family, and so I hope that you feel that way. I hope you feel loved. And, uh, and yeah, we, uh, my name is Steve. My wife's name is Erin. Erin's in the back right over there. And actually, Erin's family's here tonight. Her brother and dad are here in the back. Uh, I took my father-in-law caribou hunting this week, and I did not find him a caribou. And so uh, that's kind of a bad thing to have happen as a son-in-law, you know? I just, I feel like I did not live up to expectations, which you're always kind of trying to, like, you know, prove yourself as the son-in-law. So pray for me this week, if you would. Uh, and uh, and and if you see Don on the way out, just, just shake his hand and say, have grace. All right, have grace. That'd be great. Anyways, actually, uh, if you were here last week, I told the story about him. Uh, and so that's him, actually. That that He was in that story. That's Don, all right? So uh, if you remember my story from last week involving a bathroom, uh, yeah, don't worry, Don. That makes it sound like I shared secrets about you. I really didn't. All right. Anyways, we're, I'm digging a hole here. I'm done. Moving on. All right. Question for all of you tonight is simply this. How many of you had ever had something growing up, a blanket, a stuffed animal, or something like that that you did not want to let go of as a kid? Anybody? All right. A couple of you. How many of you have something in your life right now that you don't want to let go of, even though you probably should get rid of it? Maybe there's like an old hoodie or you have, it's like, I just have a lot of memories with this hoodie. Maybe it's your car. Like to you, it's the coolest thing in the world. To everybody else, it smells like a combination of deteriorating plastic and a McDonald's. But, but to you, that's like your car. You know what I'm saying? And you have an emotional attachment to it, and so you keep it. I had, a, I had a hat that I got when I was a freshman in high school. It was a twins hat. And uh, this, there's a, there I am, right there. All right, and there's my twins hat. And I loved my twins hat. I cared for my twins hat. I wore my twins hat everywhere. It became part of Steve. Steve and the twins hat were synonymous, all right? Steve would not go anywhere without his twins hat. The twins hat would not go anywhere without Steve. And so uh, I... I I took this thing everybody everywhere, but eventually it started to get dirty. It started to get sweaty. It ended up with sweat stains on it. You know what I'm talking about? And then my mom would get mad. She'd be like, Steve, you got to do something with this incredibly disgusting hat. It's no longer white. It's not even yellow. It's like a weird coffee brown at this point. It's just nasty. So then she'd put it in the wash, and I'd be like, I'd get upset because I'm like, Mom, what are you doing? Why are you washing this? Every time you wash it, I have to refit it to my head, and it shrinks, and I just it doesn't feel right. And eventually, eight years later, I finally decided that maybe 
maybe this is not a good idea to continue to wear this hat. I have another picture of it. This is, uh, uh, there's my twin's hat eight years later, all right? And now, these are both beardless pictures of Steve, and I just want to say that sometimes, I, one time I, I showed a beardless picture of Steve and uh, on the screen, and somebody said, Steve, uh, never shave ever again. Please, all right? I'm pretty sure that's what, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure you called my real face ugly, all right? I'm pretty sure that's what you just did. That's kind of insulting. Uh, so, but anyways, I don't know why I went down that rabbit trail. Uh, so there's my twins hat, and eventually the twins hat got retired, and it is sitting in my twins memorabilia box in my garage, and someday I'll give it to one of my grandkids, and they'll say, this is ridiculous, Grandpa. Uh, why, why did you keep this all this many years? It's because it had sentimental value to it. But the reason I share that story is simply just because I believe that we do the same thing with things in our spiritual lives. That sometimes we can be walking through life and something happens to us. We do something, circumstances come up, a thought comes into our brain, and for whatever reason, we latch onto it and we, it almost becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of our identity. And regardless of whether or not it might, it might look okay at first, but eventually it starts to get kind of nasty and it starts to maybe bother those around us, affect ourselves, affect those around us. And we don't even realize that this thing that we have attached to ourselves somehow is causing problems in our life and to those identity. All of us in here, every single person in here asks ourselves the question, who are we, right? Like, who is it really that, that I am as an individual? And there's a lot of things that try to place identities on us. But what I want to propose to you tonight is that the Word of God has a very clear answer for who you are. And if you would ask God, if you would read Scripture, He is really good at showing you who you are. And the world wants to attach things to our identity constantly that distract us from who God says that we are and who the Word of God says that we are. And we put these things on and we don't even really realize sometimes that they're there until they catch up to us. Maybe a day, a week, sometimes years down the road. And tonight I want us to look at somebody who understood that their circumstances the things that they had attached to their life were not their true identity. And his name is Bartimaeus. And if you have your Bibles, you can open to Mark chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, we have free ones at the info table. So grab one on your way out if you'd like one. Uh, and if you'd like a study Bible, we can get one of those for you as well. So just talk to us about that. But in Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus and he's about to interact with a dude named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is blind, and Jesus is about to do something really, really cool. It says this in verse 46 of chapter 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, 
call him. They called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. Turn to your neighbor and say, throw. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now, I emphasize that verse for a reason. I want us to look at that moment in Bartimaeus' life when he threw his cloak aside. But we're going to get to that in just a second. It says this, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I love that. It's like, hey, uh, what do you want? I, I think Bartimaeus, can you imagine if Bartimaeus was like, I'm really feeling a smoothie right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, he like shot big. He's like, I'm gonna, I got this request from Jesus. I'm going for it. I'm going to ask for something really awesome. I'm going to ask for my sight. And Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus, and followed Jesus along the road. Now, sometimes when we read passages in Scripture, we're kind of like, oh, that's a cool story. But I want you to actually imagine yourself being there as Bartimaeus was blind, and now he sees. You'd watch somebody's first thing they would ever see in their life. As they opened their eyes and they would able to be able to see the world. I mean, that would be pretty cool to be there. But what I want to focus on tonight is the fact that Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside. Why that's significant, to understand why that's significant, we have to look at, at kind of what this cloak would have meant to Bartimaeus. Now, in Jesus' day, if you were a beggar, if you were, uh, if you were obviously, he had a disability, and so... Uh, uh, he was obviously, he couldn't work, and so because he couldn't work, he needed to beg. But now in order to beg in Jesus' day, beggars wore something called beggar's cloaks. And a beggar's cloak was, uh, for kind of to, to understand it, it, was almost like gaining a permit to be able to beg in a city. It was a way of communicating to the entire city that, hey, I have no other way to make a living and so I'm going to be here with my beggar's cloak on. And if I were to see a beggar on the side of the road with a beggar's cloak on, I would know immediately that that person was identified as a beggar. As someone who did not have the ability to provide for themselves. And so when Bartimaeus throws his cloak away, he is throwing away his right to the only way of making a living that he has. Do you understand why that's significant, that the Word of God says that he casted his cloak? In other words, he's going for broke here, right? Literally. If this doesn't work, he's hosed, man. Not to mention the fact that that cloak that he had on would have been every article of clothing that he owned, right? You might be like, well, Steve, what's the big deal about a cloak? Like, I lost a hoodie last week. You know, I left a jacket at Moose's Tooth once, and it wasn't that big of a deal. I got a new one. For him, this was his shelter. It was his home. It was his clothing. It was his warmth. It was the insulation in his walls. It was his bed and his bedding and his pillow. It was his storage facility and his file cabinet and his wallet. Everything he would have owned would have been inside of that cloak. And I don't know about you, but, but I, 
I, I don't know a ton. I, I don't know a ton of blind people, but I know this is that they probably know where everything is at at all times, right? Because you can't just be absent-minded and set something somewhere and then go look for it later, right? So for him to cast a cloak to aside would to be to go against and you always know thing he had ever learned in his life. You never leave anything behind. And you always know exactly where you put everything. And so to cast it aside would have, and, and notice in this passage, it actually says that he's in a big group of people. Jesus always had a mosh pit following him around. I mean, this guy knew how to draw a crowd because he was Jesus, right? And so he had this giant crowd following him around. And so if you've ever, like, left something on the street in a crowd of people, you know that when you come back, it's, I don't know if, why you would do that. But uh, if you'd ever done that, you know that when you come back, it's going to be trampled. It's probably going to be ruined. And the streets in Jesus' day were not necessarily clean. There wasn't a street sweeper going by, right? I mean, there would have been feces in the streets. There would have been all that other stuff, right? And so he just throws it aside. He literally gets rid of it. What that tells me and what that told Jesus is that Bartimaeus was full of faith. What that tells us, and I believe this, and this is the lesson we can learn from Bartimaeus tonight, is I believe that all of us have cloaks that hinder us. Things that we hang on to in our lives that we're not willing to let go of. Or things that attach themselves to our lives that are outside of our control that identify us and make us feel like we're stuck in that identity. And if blind Bartimaeus was willing to throw it off to have an encounter with Jesus, and when he had that encounter with Jesus, everything in his life changed, then how much more tonight could you, if you just let that part of your identity go, let that thing that you're believing about yourself go, let that thing that you've identified, that, that you've placed value in in your life, if you let that go and run towards Jesus, maybe, just maybe, there's freedom for you, there's healing, and there's restoration on the other side of that encounter with Jesus, just like Bartimaeus. And so tonight, I just want us to ask ourselves two questions. And the first one is simply this, what cloaks am I allowing to identify me? What cloaks in my life am I allowing to identify me? You see, I think that our identities come from a lot of different places, right? One of the places that they can come from is our actions, the things that I've done, the things that I am doing, the habits that I have, right? Those things have a tendency to uh, have me think that, well, that's just who I am. Another place that our identities come from is from our experiences, things that have been done to us, said to us, said about us, or things that we've witnessed. And sometimes these things are not good things, right? Sometimes these things have come from, from places of, of a lot of malice and a lot of hatred and a lot of hurt. But when those things get said or those things get spoken over us or whatever it might be or those things get done to us, we have this tendency to kind of put that twins hat on and just have it become a part of us and forget the fact that that thing's getting stinky up there. Another place that our identities come from is from our circumstances. This is maybe just the, 
the, the family that you have, the parents that you grew up with, the siblings that you grew up with, the socioeconomic status that you were born into, the, the body type that you were given, whatever it might be, your circumstances, the hand that you were dealt, and you're just like, well, okay, this is just, I guess this is part of my identity. My family has done it this way. My, my dad struggled with this. My grandpa struggled with this. My mom struggled with this. I'm probably going to struggle with this as well. Those are your circumstances. And all of these things try to give us an identity in our lives, try to put a cloak on us that says this is who you are, right? Bartimaeus was a blind beggar because he had that cloak on. And you know what's interesting about Bartimaeus? In his day, it was, there was this weird belief system that, uh, that really uh, was, was kind of peculiar. It was almost this karma-type belief system. If you were alive in Jesus' day and you saw Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the street, what you would have assumed about him based off of the, the common belief system of the day was that the reason he was blind is because either he sinned or his family had sinned, and he was paying for their issues and their problems. And so if you walked by blind Bar Bartimaeus, you would have said, well, Bartimaeus, kind of have a hard time feeling bad for you, pal, because you kind of made your own bed. Now you have to sleep in it. Or your family made that bed, and now you have to sleep in it. And I think that sometimes when it comes to our identities, the same thing happens in our lives. And see, it's interesting, right? What did everybody s start to say? As soon as Bartimaeus started to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have, have mercy on me, people told him to be quiet. Oh, hey, dude, you have no right talking to that rabbi. That rabbi is a man of holiness. That rabbi is a man of nobility. That rabbi, like, does really awesome things and has this really awesome following. And you are just over here, and you have no right to go talk to that man. And you see, that really is very reflective of the voice of shame in our life, isn't it? You see, when we have things in our lives that try to identify us, the enemy, the devil, the, 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 the person who, who is warring over your soul loves to make you feel stuck in this identity that the world has given you. And so what happens is, is he gets us in this thing that, that I refer to as the shame cycle. And so I want to just point this out to you. And for some of you, I think that there's going to be a lot of freedom that comes through what I'm about to explain. So just turn to your neighbor and say, yo, buckle up for this. So I'm going to give you a loop. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to give you a little... I'm going to give you a little playbook, a, lo a look into the playbook of the enemy. So you got to understand that there is an enemy waging war over your soul, right? If there is a God that exists in our universe, then there, there has to be someone who wants to bring death and destruction to your life. And the Bible calls him Satan or the devil or whatever it is, the deceiver. There's a lot of different names for him. But he doesn't want you to step into the fullness of your God-given identity. And so what happens is, is he'll tempt you, and he'll try to get you to do something, or he'll try to have something happen to you, some sort of action. And you can put that first, that first picture of that diagram up. There it is. Good job. All right. So something happens in your life, right? So we're just going to use an example here. Let's use the example of 
uh, pornography, all right? So the devil says, hey, you should look at a little bit of porn on the Internet. What's it going to hurt? It's not going to hurt anything. And you kind of, you've had a long, stressful day. You deserve a little bit of a release from life. And so why don't you just look at a little bit of porn? It's not going to hurt anything. Yeah, I know you promised God a lot of times that you're not going to do that again. But just look at it, and it'll be okay, whatever, right? And then as soon as he, as soon as you give in to that temptation, he changes the game on you, and he throws shame at you. And you see, we feel shame because we know that there's something not right. Right after that happens, we're like, ooh, that wasn't good. And we feel that because there is something inside of you that knows that you were meant to live for something more. And the devil takes that, and he twists it, and he says, oh, how dare you do that? I can't believe you fell for that today. That one? That's the oldest thing in the book. I cannot believe that you did this again, you should be ashamed of yourself. In fact, you should be so ashamed of yourself that you should probably never talk to God about this because he doesn't want anything to do with you anymore after this. You know why he doesn't want anything to do with you? Because you are a porn addict, and he puts an identity on your life. So that's what shame does. That's what Bartimaeus' cloak had done. Says, oh, you're blind and you're a beggar? Here, put this cloak on so the whole world knows exactly who you are and will never mistake you for anybody else. And that is how you're going to live your days for the rest of your life. But you see, Bartimaeus knew that there was a way out because this cycle leads to perpetuated action in our lives. Because what do porn addicts do? Porn addicts look at porn. And when a porn addict looks at porn, then eventually more shame gets heaped on. That identity becomes more solidified in our brains, and we repeat the action over and over again. This works with body image issues. It works, this, this is exactly how the enemy gets us to be uh, repeat sins of anger or frustration or whatever it might be. Insert any battle that we face in our lives. He uses the same strategy against us. But my friends, Bartimaeus knew that there was a way out of this, that there's got to be a different story. There's no way. Bartimaeus, I'm sure, was sitting there, and he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was walking by, and he had heard that this guy had healed people. He had heard that he had opened blind eyes, that he had healed lepers, that, that people, when they get around Jesus, paralyzed people walk. And if that happens to them, then it can probably happen to my situation here. I don't need to listen to the voices of the world. I don't need to listen to the voices of, of, I don't need to listen to the identity of this cloak that I'm wearing. I can get out of this. And my friends, the way out of it is through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that grace eventually, you can go to that next diagram. That grace eventually leads us, can I have one more? to that new healing and that new identity and a new future. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be, right? And so how do we get there? So if we ask the question, what cloaks are we identifying? We probably all have something in our lives that we felt shame about that's tried to just become that cloak that's on us. So what's keeping me from letting go of my cloak is my second question. What's keeping me from letting go of that cloak? Well, for a lot of people, I think it can be a lack of understanding of who Jesus actually is. 
that there is grace available to us. What is grace? Grace is the free gift of God. I, I love that that Jesus asks for no interchange here, right? Like there's nothing that's like, uh, uh, wait a minute, Bartimaeus, before we crack this deal, before I open your eyes, uh, I just need, uh, I need to know like what's in it for me, you know? And, uh, and then maybe, maybe, maybe we could like get you on a 12-step plan to, to receiving your sight back and, and we'll see how you're doing after step six, but whatever. No, 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 there was nothing like that, right? It was not at all, there was no, there was nothing that inhibited Jesus from saying, I am going to just give you healing and I'm going to give it to you in full. If you're here last week, you know that, that Jesus is a guy that is approachable, he's knowable, he's powerful, and he accepts us right where we are at. And I believe that the reason Bartimaeus was able to break off his cloak is because he understood something about Jesus that few people maybe realize. He calls him the son of David in this passage. What does that mean? That doesn't really make sense. Was, was his dad's name David? No, his dad's name wasn't David. But there were prophecies in Scripture that said the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the person who was going to come and set this world free from sin, was going to come from King David's line. And so by calling him the son of David, have mercy on me, he was essentially saying, hey, Jesus, I know that you're the Messiah. I know you're the one that was promised to come, that, that God had promised to send to take away my sin and to give me healing and restoration in my life. He understood who Jesus was. And if we don't understand who Jesus is, then it's very hard to wrap our brains around who he says we are. My friends, Jesus is approachable, he's knowable, and he accepts you right where you're at. And that grace is a free gift. There's nothing that he asks for in return except for us to believe and to make him our, our Lord in our life. So maybe it's lack of understanding that's keeping you from letting go of your cloak. Maybe it's just the fear of the unknown. What's going to happen? If I cry out to Jesus, if I actually let go of this cloak, what's going to happen? We'd already talked about the fact that if, if this didn't work, Bartimaeus was going to be in huge trouble, right? Can you imagine if Bartimaeus would have just, like, talked himself out of this interaction with Jesus because he was afraid of what maybe might happen or maybe might, what might not happen or was afraid of losing what he had? I think sometimes we, we, let, we fail to let go of the things that identify us in our lives because of comfort or sometimes we convince ourselves that maybe it's really where I'm at maybe really isn't that bad. Can you imagine if Bartimaeus was laying there and a friend came over and they're like, hey, Bartimaeus, that Jesus of Nazareth guy, he's coming by and I heard he heals people. You, uh, and, and last time I checked, you need some healing, so we should go talk to him. And can you imagine if Bartimaeus would have just sat there and been like, you know, actually, my friend, thank you for the offer, but, but I'm good. Like, I, I'm actually, you won't believe this, I actually found a new way to fold my cloak, and it actually feels pretty good as I sleep at night. And I read this article on Facebook about how I need to, like, align my hips, and so I, I, I put my cloak between my legs when I sleep, and I, it, it aligns my hips well, and it's been helping my lower 
lower back pain. So it's not been as bad. It's more like a pain of like 3 out of 10 now, and it was a 5 out of 10. So I think I'm going to be okay for a while. But isn't that what we do sometimes? Like, no, no, I, I, I mean, uh, Jesus, yeah, I mean, I know that you have some nice things to say about me. You have an identity for me. But, like, I, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm miserable, but I'm not maybe that miserable, and I'm not miserable all the time. So I, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Friends, we are settling for something that is so below anything that God wants to give us. That it's a tragedy. I think sometimes we 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 fear stepping into our uh, this grabbing a hold of this identity because somehow we think that Jesus is going to make us do something that we don't want to do. Man, if I really get serious about accepting what God has for me, then I don't know. Maybe he'll. But do you notice that that Jesus Jesus gave him really no instruction after this. He just said, "Go. Your faith has healed you." There was no like. Go, and we'll see you at small group next week, right? There was nothing hung over his head. But do you notice what his response was? His response was to still follow Jesus. Why? Because there was something planted in his heart now that said, well, my goodness, if I've experienced this freedom and this healing, where else will I go? And where else would I turn? I think sometimes we step away from letting go of our cloaks. We hold on to our cloaks because of the voices around us as well. And the worship team can come back up as we close. You know, Bartimaeus was surrounded by people who fed this identity, who looked at him as a beggar, who told him to be quiet. I want you to ask yourself tonight, what belief system are the people around me perpetuating in my life? Because sometimes the people around me perpetuate a belief system about myself that's not necessarily the identity that God wants to give me. Am I part of a community that speaks life over me? And I believe that this is what, what makes a, a, a small group so powerful. And we push small groups a lot in Chi Alpha uh, because we believe in the power of small group. Why? Not just because we need another thing to do, not just because we have we need some friends to hang out with. There's lots of places to hang out with friends. And not because we need a place to, to go to just study the Bible and that's it. What makes a small group so powerful is you have a group of people around you fighting for the same exact thing, fighting to step into the fullness of their God-given destiny and identity. And you have people around you who are messing up just as much as the next guy, just as much as the next girl, who are just battling through the same things, who say, hey, I'm not going to let you believe anything less than what the Word of God says about your life. And if you start to believe something less than what the Word of God says about your life, I love you too much to not let you know that you're believing something less than what God, the Word of God says about your life. That's the power of a small group. Not just friends, not just Bible study, but friends who hold you to the promises that the Word of God says about you in Scripture. Not be the friends that just perpetuate your identity, but to be the friends that say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that you know what Jesus says about you. So as we close, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Henry Nouwen. 
And uh, he wrote this really awesome book. It's one of my favorite books called The Life of the Beloved. And I want you to close your eyes, okay, for just a second. Because Henry Nouwen uh, is a wordsmith, and he uh, combined all of these promises in Scripture into one power-packed paragraph. Okay, so every single thing I'm going to read to you has a, has a reference in Scripture. You can find it in the Bible, and these are all things that God has said about you specifically. And I want you to listen to this, and I want you to just imagine the God of the universe, imagine Jesus speaking these things over your life. So here we go. I hear at the center of my word, at my center, words that say, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved on whom my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knit you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with care more infinite than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you, and wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and a drink that will quench all of your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, and I know you as my own. You belong to me. I'm your father. We are family. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. Some of you in here have been listening to a voice that sound a lot different than that. You've been clinging to an identity that sounds a lot different than that. Maybe because something terrible happened to you. Maybe because you have an, some sort of thing, that a habit in your life, that, an action that keeps repeating. Or maybe you just grew up in a circumstance that says that you are going to be one way for the rest of your life. My friend, God has something different. I had a friend named Dwayne Pikarski who uh, I got to lead to Jesus. And when I met with him in the student union at North Dakota State University when I was a junior in college, I remember Dwayne looking at me, and I looked at, I, or not even looking at me, I looked at Dwayne and he wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And all he could say was, he kept repeating, I just, I know that God could never love me. I know that God could never love me. I know that God could never love me. There's just no way. There's no way he'd ever want anything to do with me. And we sat and we talked about the love of God. I read these promises in Scripture over Dwayne. And over the course of the next several weeks, Dwayne started to believe what the Word of God said about Dwayne. And a little while after that, Dwayne accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Dwayne got set free from a sexual addiction in his life. He got set free from an alcohol addiction in his life. He got set free from a digital addiction in his life. He got set free from an unhealthy relationship. And today, Dwayne is serving Jesus, married to a godly woman, and raising a godly young man. 
But I'll never forget sitting with Dwayne that day and having him literally not believe a single thing the Word of God said about him. And his life was in total shambles. My friends, your identity has the power to redirect your life and to give you a new future, and that's what Jesus wants to do tonight. And so if you're here tonight and you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you'd like to, or maybe you did, and that commitment has since grown completely cold and stagnant. There's nothing, there's, there's real no dedication in it all. And tonight you'd like to just say, I, I want to hit the reset button. I need to come back to him. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to cry out to him as my Savior. If that's you, if you just want to raise a hand in this place, I know who I'm praying for. Is that cool? Anybody? Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. You raise your hand to that question. I'm going to ask that all of us would just bow our heads in this moment and that you would just pray this prayer in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize that my sin has separated me from you. But tonight, I'm accepting your forgiveness that you made available to me through dying for me on the cross. And I'm asking for strength to live for you for the rest of my life. If you made that decision tonight, I would love to chat with you after the service. Amy would love to chat with you after the service and talk to you about what that means and what's next. But if you're here tonight and you need to let go of some shame, there's a shame-filled cloak tonight that you need to get rid of, and you need some healing, you need some freedom. You need to surround yourself with some voices that are going to speak life and encouragement over you. If that's for you tonight, as we sit and we worship, if there's something specific that you need prayer for, I would love to pray with you. Aaron's going to be in the back, the, the uh, staff's going to be in the back of the room, and we're going to be available to pray uh, however, we wanna, however you would like us to pray. But as we close in worship, I would just ask that you would just say, uh, ask yourself those two questions. What cloaks am I allowing to identify me? And what's keeping me from letting go of those cloaks? And maybe you add a third question. Lord, show me what you think about me tonight. And I believe he's going to tell you. And I believe it's going to be awesome. And that one encounter with Jesus could radically change everything for the rest of your life. We'll pray and then we'll spend some time in the Lord and just spend some time reflecting on some of these things and allowing uh, the Holy Spirit to just do some work in our hearts. So, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who gives us an identity. Would you speak to us tonight as we close here in a time of response with you? Lord, I pray that you just do some heart surgery on us tonight. In Jesus' name.